Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Let's look at Revelation Revealed. Tonight we're in part 28. We're going to finish up chapter 17. And we're going to get into part uh, 1 of chapter 18. This is part 3 of chapter 17. So let me say a prayer and then we'll dive right in. Father, thank you so much for your word, for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we are just uh, never want to take it for granted. That's why we do what we do because of what you did for us. And I pray, God, that you would just uh, draw more and more people to your kingdom. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us tonight through your word. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. So a little review and introduction. Last week, I'm so glad you came back because last week, man, we hit some stuff dealing with Babylon and the religious system it represents. We talked about the seven hills. We talked about Rome and Constantinople. And um, we'll pick it up from there uh, tonight. Uh, we, we talked about Christianity and Islam, the Roman Catholic Church, the Protestant Reformation, the Protestant movement and creedal Christianity, and we talked about the apostolic handprint. And I, I think that uh, if, if you missed that, you need to go check it out. There's some good stuff in the podcast. Uh, now, let's pick it up with verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12, starting with verse 10. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes... He must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they received authority for one hour as kings with the beast. Now, there's really no need to explain that. It's pretty self-explanatory, so we'll move on, right? No, I'm just kidding, right? (laughs) (laughs) so let's dive into that seven kings seven kings five have fallen one is and the other has not yet come seven kings john was a jew and he he knew six major kingdoms that had oppressed israel Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. Five are fallen, one is Rome. Rome was currently oppressing the nation of Israel. And then he mentions a seventh one, not yet come, still in the future, It will continue for a short space. So what is that? What is that kingdom that has not yet come or this king that has not yet come? Still in the future, what is that? Well, it says it will continue for a short space. I believe we looked at Daniel's image or really the image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about last week. If you look at that, put these verses together, I believe you can speculate 
that this is some kind of revived holy Roman Empire. And uh, we'll look deeper in that uh, at some other time, but suffice it to say, I believe it's a a revived Holy Roman Empire. Pope Leo III crowned Charles the Great, or as he became known, Charlemagne, on December 25th, 800 A.D. or 800 C.E. in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, Italy. And that, uh, that Holy Roman Empire being revived would look something like, if you take a look at the nations that were in that, would look something like what uh, we now know as the European Union. Uh, originally, it was called the European Economic Community or the Common Market. It was uh, formalized March 25th, 1957 at the signing of the Treaty of Rome in Rome, Italy, on Capitoline Hill. And, and, and so I, I believe that is a revived Roman Empire, uh, or, or holy, the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, again, we'll, we'll take some, some look at this in depth uh, a little later on. But then notice it says there's an eighth. There's an eighth king, and I believe that is the kingdom of the Antichrist. So the seventh one has not yet come, still in the future. It will, it will be around for a short space, and it's going to be something like the, the European Union. Back in the day, you see, when, when, when the Treaty of Rome was signed, uh, a lot of people that studied the Bible thought, well, this has got to be those ten toes, that Holy Roman Empire, Daniel's image, the ten horns, the problem was, I think there were only like six nations, five or six nations in the common market at the time. And so they were like, well, as soon as it gets to 10, like, you know, that's that seventh empire is, is there. That seventh king is there. And so the, the European Union, the common market got to seven and then eight and then nine and then 10. And I was around when that was happening. And, and when it got to 10, prophecy teachers went crazy. They're like, Jesus is coming back. We got 10 toes, you know. But then there were 11, and then 12, and then 15, and then 20. Like, it just kept growing, you know. It it was like we have a 12-toed freak, and then, you know, it, it kept going and going and going. And so then you're like, well, now we got to lose a few. Now we have to lose, so we got to drop some off. And so I, I don't know if it's the European Union, and they will drop some off. I, I'm not sure, but... It, it will look something like, I believe we could prove from Scripture, the, the Holy Roman Empire uh, that, uh, that came after the Roman Empire. So let's look at verses 13 through 14. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Now we'll look at that Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and those who are with him in a bit. But let's talk about the ten horns are the ten kings, but it, apparently they don't behave per se as as kingdoms per se. Uh, it's more of a conglomeration, a coalition, like like the European Union. They're working together. And these are the same kings that are represented, like I mentioned, by the ten toes of 
of Daniel's image, and they receive authority for a short period of time. A short period of time. I believe they rise to prominence mid-tribulation. The ten-toed kingdom, the ten horns, rise to prominence mid-tribulation. Three and a half years into the, the seven years of Daniel's 70th week. And they make war with the Lamb and with those who are with the Lamb. This will be at the Battle of Armageddon, and they will lose. Incidentally, they, they will lose uh, because the Lord will reign, and those who are with them will be victorious. We'll touch on some of this uh, as we get into this, and then later in the book of Daniel, we'll really crack some of this open. Verses 15 through 18. Let's go ahead and go there. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So here we had this partnership between the woman and the beast. And here we have the ten-horned beast, the ten horns at least, devouring the woman, killing the woman, eating her flesh. It's very graphic and very brutal. I think it shows that in the end, the beast, the Antichrist, the one world government will turn on the woman. The state will turn even on a one world religion because really that's what an all-powerful state always does. All worship except the worship of the state becomes unacceptable. The Antichrist uses the woman to get the attention and the allegiance of the world. That's what the false prophet is doing. Listen to the beast. Listen to the beast. But then eventually the beast destroys the woman and the religious system. This is interesting. If there ever was a totalitarian, Antichrist, God-hating government on the earth, I think we could all agree that it was Nazi Germany. So this is interesting because we can see kind of a precursor to to what we just looked at in those verses. Hitler used the church, co-opted it, hijacked it, twisted it, used it as a means to his own end. In 1932, the German Christian Church That's a proper name. German Christian Church organized. And it was a Nazified church. A Nazified church. That's a good cut down for somebody, right? You just Nazified, right? It was a Nazified church. Complete with Hitler's hand-picked Reich Bishop. That was his name. He was the Reich Bishop. His name was Ludwig Muller or Ludwig Mueller. Now think about it. I, I've got some pics. Here's a here's a picture of Hitler and and the Reich Bishop shaking hands. Now, is that a sight to behold? Here is the top cleric shaking hands with that guy. It, this is amazing. Now, it's not like he's trying to win him to the Lord. 
It's like he's looking for common ground, and he's like, praise the Lord. You know, it's nice to meet you. I know you're a devil worshiper and all this kind of stuff, but let me tell you about my Jesus. No, they're in cahoots. This is like the woman riding the beast. This is what it looks like. I've got another picture. This is the Reich bishop giving the salute. Heil Hitler. We've got another one. When they took over Poland, they captured a church and they dropped the swastika. They dropped the swastika flag on the church. And listen, they influenced, the Nazi party used the church to influence politics. Here's a picture of the stormtroopers advertising at a polling station in Germany, and it's saying, vote for German Christian candidates. So here you have a a partnership between an antichrist government and the church trying to gain power. And it's really the Reich, it's really Nazi Germany trying to gain power and take over the world. Does that sound familiar? But using the church and the faith of people and the trust of the clergy and, and the deception, man. Talk about the, the, the kings of the earth being deceived with what the woman was selling. This is a preview. This is a precursor of things to come. The woman riding the beast. Now, this didn't just happen arbitrarily out of nowhere. The devil had sown the seeds for this many years before. 400 years earlier in Germany, and we've talked about this in our studies on Wednesday night. Martin Luther wrote a treatise entitled On the Jews and Their Lies. 65,000 words of pure anti-Semitic hate. And it fueled the fire. As a matter of fact, we know it fueled the fire from the writings. I was blown away in studying some of this. There's a guy named Kittle. Kittle is is mandatory reading for seminary students, a theologian amongst theologians and a Nazi. Now, he regretted it later. But I'm just telling you, I have a hard time listening to a theologian who was so dumb and so not astute as to be duped by Adolf Hitler and his ideology, blown away. But we see Martin Luther being a, obviously a huge influence on Protestantism, kind of started the ball rolling. But this is interesting to me how this was all sown years and years before. I've got a picture of a celebration of Luther Day, the celebration of Martin Luther in Germany. This is a celebration of Luther Day by the church. And look at the swastika in the middle of the cross. Like That's crazy. What were people thinking? Well, t- again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to cast stones. I'm just telling you it, it is what it is. 
You have Hitler and his henchmen mocking the church, ridiculing the word, hating Jesus, but using the church as a means to an end. And there was the confessing church, which was kind of the um, the resistance. But again, very lame in their resistance. They were complicit in Jewish persecution, talked about the Jews being a problem. The Catholic church in Germany didn't fare well either, neither did it in Mussolini's Italy. Pretty lame. I might point out, Babylon made its way into Rome and Constantinople, but also Babylon made its way into the Protestant churches. Again, the Roman Catholic Church looks at the Protestant churches as the daughters that soon will come home. That's what Vatican II says. And so you have the church councils that influence not only Roman Catholicism, they always point back to the church councils, but so does Protestantism. And I told you, I'm not so much about creedal Christianity. Even though there are truths in some of those creeds, I'm not so much about creedal Christianity as much as I am about matching the apostolic handprint. We got 12 guys. The Bible says Jesus opened their understanding. They knew what they were talking about. And we have their field guide found in the book of Acts, which shows us what they preached and what they practiced. We have orthodoxy and orthopraxy found in the book of Acts. Are you with me? And so so I want to match that. I don't necessarily want to match this creed or this council or this, uh, you know, elucidation from some writer that's a thousand years removed from the book of Acts. When I have the book of Acts, I don't need you to tell me what to believe a thousand years later. I've got the book of Acts. And and I don't believe the book of Acts is the entirety of the Bible. I don't base all my theology just on the book of Acts. But I tell you what, they refer to mucho of the Bible and the teachings of Jesus in the book of Acts. And they kind of like, Revelation will interpret itself as it goes. The book of Acts brings so much enlightenment on the rest of the Bible. Are you with me? And John lived through all of that stuff in the book of Acts. And uh, here he is having these visions. It's fascinating. Now, we've seen it before. The Antichrist will turn on the false church. Hitler did that. It, it, it's it's really, it's a tragic story, but there's, I found it a little humorous because the people, the people voted in the wrong people. That's why you see the stormtroopers working a polling station. How would you like that? You know, the Gestapo and the stormtroopers working at your polling station. And, and because the people voted for people that were not in the German Christian church, his Reich, uh, Mr. Ludwig here, his, his Reich bishop uh, got voted out by the, the new people that got voted in, and Hitler blew a fuse and said, we got to get these people out. i got to get my Reich, my Reich bishop back in and uh, because I can control this guy. Just It's just crazy stuff. So I think there's a precursor, and we can see how the woman can ride the beast, so to speak. Now, there's a parallel passage that I just felt compelled to go to and look at because it's fascinating. And again, this is going to tie in with the woman on the beast, but it's also going to tie in with Daniel's image and the ten toes. Check this out. This is from Zechariah 5. Zechariah 5, verse 1. Then I turned and raised my eyes 
and saw there a flying scroll. Now let me stop right there for a moment because the King James says a flying roll. Roll. And as a kid, that was my favorite verse. It reminded me of Lambert's, you know, home of the throat roll. And I'm like, I looked and it's like, I mean, Zachariah's like, I looked and, and that's what I always thought as a kid. It's a flying roll. Like it's a biscuit. It, it's a roll. It's one of Momo's rolls. He looked up and he's like, a flying roll. And he's chasing it, you know, just like I would do too. Like, yeah, I want that roll. But that's not it. It's a scroll. And, and it seems to already be unfurled. In other words, it's not wadded up. It's not even rolled up. It seems to be unfurled, and you'll see why here in a minute. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I see a flying scroll. Its length, this is why we think it's unfurled, its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. That's 15 by 30. 1 Kings 6.3 says that's the same size as the porch on Solomon's temple. Fascinating. Here you have this scroll, the size of Solomon's porch, which we know is significant in the New Testament. That's where the believers met. But let's move on. Verse 3. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. This is is a curse that's going to cover the earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll. And every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts, the God of the angel armies. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name, the perjurer. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timbers and stones. Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it's a basket that is going forth. He also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up. Is this strange stuff or what? The Bible has fullest, fullest strange. People say, oh, the Bible's so easy, a three-year-old could understand it. I'd like to meet that three-year-old. <laughs> so here's a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Right, as if Revelation wasn't hard enough, now we've dove into this, right? So, <laughs> and there's a woman, now check this out, sitting inside the basket. Now we talked about a woman on the beast. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, and and check this out, to build a house for it in the land of of Shinar. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. Now, Shinar is significant. The valley of Shinar, the plain of Shinar is where Babel was. It's where Babylon is located. And so now we have a connection. We have a woman. We have this plains of Shinar situation going on. 
This is judgment against thieves and perjurers, those who steal and those who lie under oath, perjurers, those who disregard covenant, swear falsely. Anytime you see uh, the, the idea of swearing oaths, you have this idea of covenant. Those who steal things, those who act contrary to covenant. And, and he calls this wickedness. When I hear the word wicked, I always think of wicker, like wickered furniture. It's, just, it's twisted. It's truth twisted. And so here you have wickedness, twistedness, evil. The, the, the scripture talks about in this materialism, the weight of the lead, idolatry. Uh, God's, God's people picked some things up in Babylon is the idea. And they needed to be judged for it, and it all needed to be sent back to Babylon. So this woman is carried by two flying women, and I don't think these are angels. Angels are always referred to in the male gender. And so here you have two flying women, and they have wings like storks. I don't fully understand this, but storks are unclean birds. Are you with me? (laughs) Storks are unclean birds in the Old Testament. And so these seem to be some kind of depiction of an evil spirit. And they fly this woman back to Shinar to, the, to, to where the foundation remains for a house to be built. And, and it's, it's, it's all, to me, it's all significant in light of the idea of mystery Babylon and this woman found in Revelation 13 and 17 and 18, etc. So, so here you have this parallel passage that there's a little lanyap. You can go study that out in Zechariah 5, but it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to say the least. I just want to tell you, and I'm, I've got this in my notes a little later, but none of this has caught God by surprise. You, you think, you know, President Barack Obama coming into power, well, wow, that caught Jesus by surprise. Or you think President Donald Trump coming into power, like, wow, that caught the Lord off guard. None of it's caught the Lord off guard. None of it. Not, not a lick of it. The, the, the uh, Notre Dame burning down in, in, in Rome over there, uh, I mean in uh, Paris over there, didn't catch the Lord off guard. None of this has caught the Lord off guard. And incidentally, I don't think that's the judgment of God on the, uh, Paris or the Roman Catholic Church or Europe or anything like that. I've heard some stuff floating around on the Internet like, wow, that's the judgment of God. He's burning down Notre Dame, you know. I mean, if you're going to burn down Notre Dame, like, like burn down... Uh, you know, the Vatican, if, if, if that's the Lord judging the Catholic Church for crying out loud. I feel sorry for Quasimodo. He just lost his hope, you know. Bless his heart. Yeah, right. <laughs> I sent, y'all remember Ron Becton who was here. They did our marriage weekend and the Ron and Cheryl Becton were here. I found out that he loves, he loves, he, he, he loves the same thing that I love. He loves Dairy Queen blizzards, Reese's peanut butter cup blizzards with extra peanut butter cups. That's exactly what I ordered. I found out that's exactly what he ordered. And so uh, his wife had posted a pic. They had been to Notre Dame, and she was bemoaning the fact that it was burned. And, and so I sent him a picture of me with a blizzard. And I said, Ron, I, 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 just, I was so distraught over that I had to go get a blizzard. And he said, I'm with you. I had to get two because I was distraught over Notre Dame and Quasimodo. (laughs) 
So let's jump into chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Now, Guzik says this, Good scholars see the issue differently. Some point to two manifestations of Babylon, one religious, one commercial. Others see the two as one, both being judged at the same time. There are definite similarities between Babylon, as described in Revelation 17 and Revelation 18. You, you see this description under the rule of the Antichrist, both are filled with blasphemy. Both chapters, the Babylons in each chapter, they're both filled with uh, the Babylons hate the saints, shed their blood. There's associations with kings and fornication under the judgment of God and destroyed. And, and there are similarities and, and differences. Let, let me let me lay out, I guess, a little more specifically. Uh, Mystery Babylon, Revelation 17, a woman, great harlot, Remember, that's mega harlot, not just a harlot, a great harlot. Mother of harlots, Mystery Babylon, Revelation 17, a city guilty of religious idolatry, fornication, uh, abomination, lures the kings and the influencers into her idolatry. The whole world's drunk on her idolatry, destroyed by a political power that previously supported her. And then in Revelation 18, some scholars will see this as commercial Babylon, but a great city. It's a port city. Now, that's interesting because Rome is not necessarily a port city. Uh, and, and we looked at that in Revelation 17. Uh, it, it's more inland. But Constantinople is a, a port city on the Bosphorus, uh, linking two seas. And uh, Then it's also a habitation with a marketplace. In, in chapter 18, guilty of greed, self-indulgence, and destroyed, again, judged and destroyed by God. Now, I, I believe, along with Guzik, that I don't see these as two different Babylons. I, I see this as an intertwined um, reality of, of Babylon. You have a commercial side, uh, and you have the, the religious side, and, and they're so... Uh, mixed together, but I see it as as one and the same. And and prophecy can be difficult, but let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Obviously, this can be difficult going through this, but there are now obvious prophecies. Uh, we can obviously understand what was being said, but back in the day, it had to be confusing to people who were looking at it in the future. For instance, Micah said Messiah would come out of Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Hosea said Messiah would come out of Egypt, Hosea 11.1. Malachi said that Messiah would come to the temple, Malachi 3.1. Zechariah said Messiah would come to Zion, Zechariah 9.9. Isaiah said that Messiah would come to Galilee, Isaiah 9.1 and 2. So which of these is true? They all are. Every single one of those is true. So it's just getting perspective. So it's strange in our point of view when Babylon is falling and 
you have these two senses of, of uh, the commercial Babylon, the religious Babylon, two different time frames, great tribulation, into the great tribulation, somewhere in there. But, but when you look at it from uh, the idea of what I just told you about with the coming Messiah, it, it can all make sense in the end. I'm not saying we're going to figure it all out on this side, but I think these are speaking, Revelation 17 and 18 are speaking of the same Babylon. Now, it gets uh, gloomy uh, at this point. <clears throat> it gets very gloomy. Uh, this part of Revelation is written very much in something John's familiar with, Old Testament uh, judgment regarding wicked cities. And you can look at examples of this in Isaiah 13 and 14, Isaiah 21, Jeremiah 50, 51, Tyre uh, mentioned in Ezekiel 26 and 28. Uh, and, and I like what one theologian, Leon Morris, said. He said, John has caught the spirit of the prophetic doom songs, right? It, it gets gloomy at this point. So let's, let's jump into it, verse 3. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. She's poisoned the world with her idolatry, and therefore the, the world is going to partake of her judgment. The idea is that. Uh, so they got drunk, they're going to pay the price. Verses 4 and 5, listen to this. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. This is amazing to me. In spite of what she's done, in spite of Babylon's obvious problems in idolatries, fornication, just the the debauchery that we've looked at, God says, I have people in Babylon. And he commands them to come out before the judgment falls. It reminds me of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, a leader in the gate. I mean, that means he was a civic official. Check it out, in Sodom. Gomorrah, the cities of the plain, he's a leader. He first just kind of faced that way. The next thing you know, he's in there. The next thing you know, he's leading in that place. And yet, as bad as it was and was to be destroyed, and God did destroy it, the Lord sent angels into Sodom and Gomorrah to pull out Lot and his family. So here, the Lord says, Come out of her, my, peop- my people, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. It's fascinating. Mercy shown. God has people there. There's this warning. Come out, or you're going to partake. Lot had to come out, or he was going to partake of the judgment. And notice this. Then her It says her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. This is Babylon. This is regarding the valley of Shinar, the plain of Shinar, from Genesis 11. And what took place there? A tower was built where they were trying to reach to heaven. 
Genesis 11, I have it in my notes, but I'm not going to take the time to read it. And the Lord said, I, I, will, have, I will disrupt it. I'm going to have to disrupt this because, because they have linked together, they've unified together. And because of this, anything that they imagine, they will accomplish. Now, as we know, and I say it often, Tower of Babel could not reach to heaven, per se. It's transdimensional, heaven. You know, we sent rocket ships up. We've gone interstellar, and we didn't run into heaven. It's another dimension. So they wouldn't have built a tower that reached up into heaven. This was mankind trying to save himself and saying, if there's another flood, we've talked about that, that we can crawl up into this tower and, and save ourselves. But here it says that the sin, the underlying motivation has reached to heaven. They did it. What Nimrod tried to do all those years before at the beginning, right after the flood of Noah, here you have mankind uniting as never before. There are more of us at that time than ever before. And they've united. And he says their sins have reached heaven. And I've remembered their iniquities. And I'm fixing to purge this planet of what's going on once and for all. That's what's going to take place. And he's telling his people that are in Babylon, you better come out because judgment is coming and it's coming swiftly. The, the, listen, the Bible tells an epic story. It is huge. It is not just flannel graph, and I love flannel graph, but it's not just flannel graph Jesus, you know, white Jesus and his white robe and his blue sash and his white teeth and he's always smiling and he's got long, beautiful hair. That That is, the Bible is epic. It is huge. It is it is every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. It is the story of humanity, creation, Almighty God. And nothing catches God off guard. Nothing catches God unaware by surprise. He knows the end from the beginning. He says that. He's saying, I, what is taking place is at my bidding. I'm the one making this happen. Powerful. Our God's all power. And you think he can't handle your problems. And you think that your little situation is just too big for him. You're like, I don't, want to, I don't want to ask the Lord. I don't want to bother the Lord with this little problem I have. or I don't want to bother the Lord with this big problem I have. He's so busy. There's other people with bigger needs. and There's all kinds. Of, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I heard somebody say one time, they said that they prayed to Mary because Jesus was so busy. They didn't want to bother Jesus. They prayed to Mary. And that's really not theologically the reason why Catholics pray to Mary, but that's what he said. I, Jesus is so busy, I'll just ask his mama to get Jesus to do something for me. And it's like, there's a billion Catholics in the world praying to Mary. I mean, it's so, I would think Mary may be more busy than Jesus, you know. like, I mean, according to your thinking, it's like, we don't want to bother the Lord. Are you kidding? He's, he's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He can hear all of us at the same time. You go to some churches, they all want to pray individually because they don't want to confuse God. Are you kidding me? We're meeting all over the world at different times, 24-7, right? So so what what difference does it make in this assembly if we pray one at a time? There's, there's a million other people praying at the same time. He hears. He, he hears. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. His arm is not short that he cannot say. He transcends time, space, eternity. He is all power. This is an epic story. And this word, y'all, this word is multidimensional. Like, I don't want to get mystical and crazy on you, but I'm telling you, this, this stuff is deep and powerful. 
It's not just words on a page. It's a message being conveyed. And, and, and it, it, it is, it, in that word is the epic story and the messages that we need to hear. And God reveals truth to us, et cetera. So nothing catches God off guard. Uh, we used to sing that song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. And that last stanza says, Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. So here we have prophecy, which is history in advance. And those kings and kingdoms will pass away. They'll, they'll make treaties. They'll cut deals. But in the end, remember Revelation 17, 14. I said we'd come back to it. These will make war with the Lamb, these kings. And the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. Brothers and sisters, that's us. We're coming back with Him as the called, as the chosen, as the faithful. What does that mean? That's, that's covenant language. We are in the covenant. God chose Abraham. Here's the deal. Babylon, check this out. And I'm, I'm coming to a halt here. But Babylon took place right after Noah and man trying to save himself. And you have a unified world working against God. Babylon failed here over in the book of Revelation. But it started over here in Genesis. But right after Babel came the call of Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you're part of that Abrahamic covenant. So Babylon failed, but the covenant of Abraham has prevailed. And so the, the chosen, the called, the chosen, the faithful, it's covenant language. We are in Christ, and we've been called, and we've been considered chosen. We've been considered faithful. And we come back with the Lord at this time. I heard one preacher say that he was praying, Lord, I want the blessing of Abraham. And the Lord spoke to him and said, then obey like Abraham obeyed. And I thought, man, that's powerful. That's pretty good. So let's look at verses 6 through 10. Are you with me? Isn't this just exciting? I want you to stay in your seats. Don't run the aisles. I know this is very, you're tempted to just run the aisles, hang from the chandeliers, but just stay seated, please. I'm almost done. Verses 6 through 10. Actually, I haven't done this very much, but I'm going to read through some of this and skip some stuff because this is all just language of absolute destruction. Just absolute destruction. So, Verse 6, render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed. This is retribution. This is Old Testament law. 
retribution, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So this is paying back double. A thief, if they stole, had to pay back double. There were different rules for all that kind of stuff. So she's getting retribution. In the measure that she was, she glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and see no sorrow. I don't suffer at all. Therefore, plagues come and one day death and mourning and famine burn with fire. Strong, uh, the, the, uh, uh, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament. Alas, the great city Babylon, the mighty city, in one hour judgment has come. People say that couldn't happen. You know, Old Testament, uh, there were prophecy preachers in the 1800s that preached that Jerusalem, that Israel would be a nation in a day. And people scoffed and said it'll never happen. And in 1948, boom, in one day, there was a nation of Israel. Hadn't been for, for 1,900 years. And in one day, boom, there it is. So all this stuff can happen. Verses 11 through 20, the merchants of the earth weep, mourn over her, no one buys merchandise anymore, merchandise of gold, silver, ivory, etc. The fruit of your soul longed for you and is gone and all the things. Merchants weeping. You've got this idea of the fine linen, purple, scarlet. We looked at that. Uh, gold, precious stones. In one hour such great riches came to nothing. Maritimes mentioned, shipmasters, those who travel by ship, sailors, uh, etc. They throw dust on their heads, weeping and wailing. Alas, alas, the great city in which we all had ships on the sea became rich by her. There's that port city. For in one hour she's made desolate. Rejoice. Notice this, verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets. For God has avenged you on her. In other words, and I'm closing with this. Stand with me right now. Notice this, heaven rejoices at the destruction of Babylon and considers what's going on, vengeance on Babylon, revenge for what Babylon did to holy apostles and prophets. That's fascinating to me, especially in light of what I said about the apostolic handprint. In other words, they, Babylon assaulted, when it says holy apostles, I think that's speaking of the 12. I think there, there's the office of an apostle even today. But ain't nobody taking the 12's place. Their names, we'll see it later in the book of Revelation, are on the foundation stones of heaven. Their names are engraved there for all eternity. No one will replace the twelve. And I got news for you. Paul's not one of the 12. Paul refers to the 12. That's another story. But the 12, nobody will take their place. Babylon assaulted the holy apostles and prophets. Now, they were dead and gone. It was their teaching. Babylon assault, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. That's the weapons of our warfare. That, that's where we fight and war. It's in the realm of the Spirit, which includes concepts and doctrines and teachings. Are you with me? 
I'm not trying to bore you over dramatize this this very dramatic in and of itself, but here you have the the end of it is that this is this is revenge for what you did to my holy apostles. Next time we'll take a look at Revelation 17 and what the Lord said about those 12. And then it'll kind of make more sense as you dive into this and you're like, wow. Hey, God is not mocked. He may move slow, but it's certain. That's why he's saying you better get out of Babylon. And here we have the differentiation, Babylon, holy apostles and prophets. Ah, I got to stop. But do you see where we're going? That that opens up some scenarios right there. I mean, we're we're Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, but the foundation is the teaching of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. That's what the church rests on. It's the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's not their bones. It's their teaching. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. They had a revelation, y'all. I want that revelation. Is that the revelation you want? I don't want nothing to do with babbling, y'all. I'm just telling you. But I, I want what those holy apostles and prophets had. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.